Welcome to the Leadership Development Group's Health Ecosystem Leadership Podcast Series. We're excited to have you join us. My name is Tracy Duberman. I'm the founder and CEO of the Leadership Development Group. We are a global coaching and leadership development consultancy with an exclusive focus in the health industry. Over the years, we've had the distinct pleasure of working with some of the brightest talent in our industry, leaders who are clearly making a difference in the work they do to provide high quality care for those in need while designing approaches to enhance health and wellness. The purpose of this podcast series is to showcase how leadership is the essential ingredient to address the ever-growing issues and challenges facing the U.S. healthcare industry. As we know through our work, the great majority of these challenges are too complex and wide-ranging for any one sector to solve independently. This is where a health ecosystem leadership approach pays more than significant dividends. Solutions which emphasize how the various sectors of the health industry operate interdependently are the only ones with the potential to deliver on critical imperatives like affordability, access, and outcomes. During this podcast series, we will introduce you to some of the best and brightest health ecosystem leaders who will share practical examples of how they have successfully demonstrated a collaborative mindset, as well as the critical behaviors that lead to positive outcomes for their organizations, their patients, and the communities they serve. David Shulkin is a national thought leader on veterans' health and patient-centered care. He was appointed by President Donald Trump as the ninth United States Secretary of Veterans Affairs and served in that role from February 2017 until March 2018. He also served as the Undersecretary of Veterans Affairs for Health under President Barack Obama. Under Secretary Shulkin's leadership, the department streamlined the appeals process for veterans seeking disability benefits, made wait times more transparent, and improved mental health services. Before his time in government, Dr. Shulkin had a long career of healthcare leadership and management, including nine years as a CMO for the University of Pennsylvania Health System, as well as the role of CMO for Temple University Hospital, president and CEO of Beth Israel Medical Center, and the president of Morristown Medical Center, where we met. He was also a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation clinical scholar at UPenn, and has previously been a Penn Senior Fellow as well as Adjunct Senior Fellow. Currently, Dr. Shulkin serves as president of Shulkin Solutions, where he partners with leading healthcare organizations and companies to foster innovation and improve wellness for patients. Dr. Shulkin has a focus on innovation, including artificial intelligence, behavioral health, consumer engagement, data analytics, genomics, home health, opioid addiction, quality of care evaluations, remote monitoring, robotics, telehealth, value-based purchasing, and veterans healthcare benefits. Dr. Shulkin's new book, It Shouldn't Be This Hard to Serve Your Country, was released October 22nd, 2019. The book details his fight to save veteran healthcare from partisan politics and how his efforts were ultimately derailed by a small group of unelected officials appointed by the Trump White House. In this uninhibited memoir, Shulkin opens up about why the government has long struggled to provide good medical care to military veterans and the plan he had to solve these problems. This is a book about the commitment we make to the men and women who risked their lives fighting for our country, how the VA was finally beginning to live up to it, and why the new administration may now be taking us in the wrong direction. Please help me in welcoming Dr. David Shulkin to the podcast today. 
Okay, so David, uh, the first question I have for you is regarding your experience at the VA. Clearly, it's the country's largest integrated healthcare delivery system. And our experience tells us that these types of systems are challenging under any circumstance. I know this is a, a, a big question, but I want to understand what it was like for you to navigate the ongoing challenges of an integrated healthcare delivery system under a public microscope. Tracy, I think that um, in some ways, coming into government was a completely different experience than what I've had in the private sector. And I've run big organizations, but never anything at this size and scope. In some ways, it was easier because the way that the department works is, is that Congress gives us a annual budget and then says, go out and do what's right for veterans. And so we were free from many of the requirements of the private third-party payers that you have to respond to in the private sector, which is extremely complicated. On the other hand, as you mentioned, everything that happens is really under the public, public microscope. And so, therefore, um, small things that happen, which in when I was a private sector CEO would remain in my office, these small things would become subjects of congressional investigations and front page stories in newspapers. And so um, the type of scrutiny that you have to be used to when you run these agencies is very different. It's mm. really an, an interesting response. And I would assume, if I could paraphrase then, that the, the actual operations of the organization in many ways, because it was single payer, um, provided you an opportunity to look at, look at the system as a whole in terms of operational efficiencies, the way in which care is being delivered. But the fact that it is a public, publicly run organization uh, there could be some uh, risky business just in terms of public persona and the way in which people can really attack when things aren't necessarily going the way that they want them to go. Well, I think I think that's right. I think that um, it was just a very different type of organization than I think anybody in the private sector is used to. But there are some real advantages to it in terms of if you have a clear direction and vision. This is an organization that responds to clear direction and can actually move fairly quickly. And that's how we were able to make some improvements uh, during my tenure there that were considerable and made a big difference, I believe, on behalf of veterans. Uh, and getting used to the public scrutiny is just part of the job. I think that healthcare in general needs to become more transparent and more accountable for its results. And I think that's really the type of system that you have when you lead a federal agency. Yeah, M much of what we wrote about in our book around health ecosystem leadership is all about partnerships and collaborations with unlikely uh, participants in many respects. You had a front row seat, uh, both leading and convening partnerships um, and also uh, potentially having to uh, uh, remove yourself from partnerships uh, if, if it was uh, required for the mission of the organization, you were able to make huge strides in improving the life of veterans through community partnerships. 
Can you provide some background on how you've worked with nonprofit and for-profit leaders to align around a common vision and accelerate that change? Well, one of the issues, of course, is, is that veterans are active participants in all aspects of their communities. And so I think that the VA as a federal organization can't divorce itself from the community, but actually has to embrace itself as part of that community. And that means reaching out to organizations, whether they're for-profit companies where veterans work or whether they're not-for-profits like the religious organizations or veteran service organizations or just social service agencies because veterans are an integral part of the community. And there's probably no issue that was more important to me than the issue of veteran suicide. And there, I think that there was no way of beginning to address the issue without reaching out to the organizations I mentioned, as well as local and state governments to work together to make sure that veterans don't fall through the cracks, that we identify those that need and find them the right help and resources, whether that's in the VA or in these community organizations. So finding ways to partner and finding ways to break down some of the barriers that have prevented these partnerships in the, in the past has really been one of the key priorities of VA over these last couple of years. Can you give us an example of a partnership that was created to uh, further health and wellness for veterans that maybe was tricky at the beginning, but you were able to overcome the challenges and see some successes from, from uh, your work? I think that there, there are many, but I would, I would point to some of the work that we've done with uh, large companies like IBM, where they have used their Watson analytics tool to be able to help us understand our data better. This particular case, to be able to um, to be able to help improve personalized healthcare for patients with cancer to get a correct treatment plan and diagnosis for patients with cancer. I think that there are other examples like um, working with not-for-profit groups like an organization called Homebase, which is based in Boston and supported by the Boston Red Sox, where they provide supplemental services for veterans with uh, brain injury and suffering from emotional disorders. And, um, and therefore, I think are a nice complement to the services that VA does. So I think those are two examples, one from a profit organization, one from a not-for-profit of ways to work with the department. Mm -hmm. Given your diverse background with experiences leading some of the best private healthcare organizations, as well as serving publicly, clearly, as the U.S. Secretary of Veteran Affairs, you've, you have a unique vantage point from which to view the current state of this country's healthcare systems. What advice can you give to healthcare leaders who are looking to manage the shift from focusing on providing sick care to one focused on promoting overall health and well-being? I think that uh, one of the surprises that I had was I thought coming from the private sector going into government that I was going to be uh, bringing all these great practices from the private sector and the government. But 
And while that occurred uh, to some extent, I was surprised at how much I learned from government that I think the private sector can learn from. And so some of those issues have to do with um, being able to incorporate what is now known as the social determinants of health into the way that we improve the health and well-being of patients. And looking at a patient solely as their physical illness without looking at their psychological, their spiritual, their economic uh, aspects of of their life, I think, um, is really difficult. So the VA's model of a more holistic approach towards looking at a patient's health in environmental settings and socioeconomic settings, I think, is really, really powerful. The other um, uh, issue is is that as as healthcare moves more towards value and towards population-based approaches, I think that there are some really powerful examples of how VA has embraced that approach. So, for example, uh, when I looked in across the population of veterans across the country in VA, I saw that there were 165,000 veterans who had hepatitis C. And so we began to proactively reach out to all of them and bring them into the VA. And now that there are drugs that have a 95% or, or higher cure rate for hepatitis C, we've actually begun to eliminate hepatitis C from the entire veteran population now having treated well over 100,000 of those 165,000 veterans and hopefully by uh, the end of the year really eliminating hepatitis from the veteran population. So that approach towards population health and thinking about, you know, big impacts, I think are really things that the private sector now can begin to do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, David. Your perspective is so uh, needed. And I think um, uh, we've got to get the message out stronger, to be honest with you. I read your book and uh, thought it should be absolutely uh, required reading of any healthcare executive in the private sector, because there is so much to be learned about uh, the system, the VA system, which most people, unless they really do a deep dive, have a perception that it's not as well run as it actually is, and isn't making the types of impacts that you talk about within the book. How is it that yeah, the and private... Yeah, that goes... Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and that goes back to your issue about the Scrutiny. I think the press tends to cover the problems in the VA, and of course, this is the largest integrated healthcare system in the country with a thousand locations. So there's always going to be problems to report on, but it doesn't do as good job about reporting the tremendous work that it does. And so, if you take a look at even access to healthcare, VA now has better wait times than. The private sector on average and many of its population health measures are actually outperforming the private sector and so it's not that that government uh, does things necessarily always better than the private sector but there are learnings from both the private sector and the public sector that i think contribute to the overall better care for all americans I, I think that was the biggest takeaway, honestly, from um, your tenure and, and the book, in that uh, taking a holistic approach, as you've mentioned, pulling the best of both systems and others uh, to really focus on health, wellness, and population, uh, population health is, uh, is really the only way to get there. 
I, yeah. I wonder from your perspective, because you've been in the both private and public sector, is it possible for the private sector to actually make the type of impact that's required on population health if we don't move to a single payer system? I do think it's possible, but I think that what we need is we need a reform of both our payment system and reform of our regulatory system to be able to do that. So let me just talk about that a little bit more. While when you speak to private sector CEOs of health systems and while they understand that we may be moving towards value-based payments which would allow this type of holistic approach towards healthcare, most say that that move is way too slow, that it mm -hmm. still represents a minority of the patients that they're um, being paid for. And so therefore, they're still having to operate in this dual fee-for-service system, as well as a risk-based payment system. So I think that when the payment system really allows uh, health systems to think about their patients as a population, that will begin to change. I also think that many of the regulatory barriers that uh, I was able to address from the point of having the ability to implement federal supremacy laws, uh, the private sector still struggles with. And an example of that would be telehealth. Uh, telehealth was absolutely essential for VA to be able to meet its mission of delivering healthcare to veterans, no matter where they live, and particularly since so many veterans live in rural areas where we don't have facilities and where healthcare professionals are even in shorter supply, we needed to use telehealth. But when I got to the VA as secretary, we were still restricted on the state-by-state -state, uh, licensing requirements. And so I was able to get the president to support us moving towards allowing us to be able to provide this technology anywhere in the country from anywhere in the country and therefore we were able to use federal su supremacy to go above the state licensing and I think that's a good thing and I think that we need to think about regulatory relief in areas like that um, as well as other licensing and regulatory requirements that are preventing us today from delivering um, the potential of what technology and and population health approaches allow us to do. Mm. What do you think is the biggest lesson the public sector health system VA can take from the private sector and vice versa, the private sector taking from the public sector? Well, I think going from uh, lessons from, from the public sector really has to do with the way that VA has integrated behavioral health into the way that we deliver physical health and yeah, so yeah yeah could you, could you do of, a deep dive on that because that is a huge issue on the private sector as well of course and and you know one of the reasons when people talk about well you know why don't why don't we just sort of close up the VA and give veterans vouchers and let them go out and get health care wherever you know the private sector can provide it one of the real reasons why I have grave concerns about that is because of the difficulty that we see for accessing behavioral health care currently in the private sector and how challenging that is, and how much insurance restricts being able to get people the help they need. And 
the VA has really developed a extraordinary behavioral health care system to meet the needs of veterans. And I think that's uh, essential for us to carry out our mission. And the way that it's delivered in the VA is, is in a very integrated approach, in the team-based approach. So we don't send veterans and say, okay, well, now you got to go over to that building and see a psychiatrist. It's just part of the way that we often deliver primary care and team-based care a part of a person, their their sort of physical health and their brain health. And uh, I think that that's been very powerful and something that we can learn a lot from in the private sector. I think the private sector, in terms of teaching VA, um, the private sector is undergoing a tremendous transition from a B to B, from a business to business model, to a B to C, to a business to consumer model in engaging patients in their own health care. And I think this is the uh, tremendous advances we're seeing in digital health, which is connecting with patients where they want to be connected with. And I think VA needs to learn from that, that the veteran population is changing from uh, what is largely now a bolus of Vietnam veterans who are in the VA, who are approaching 70 years old and still tend to think about healthcare as being seen in a clinic or hospital to a changing veteran population that is just like most millennials that want their care delivered and their their uh, services through digital means and 24-7. And so I think VA needs to make sure that it is transforming and modernizing the way that we're seeing in the private sector as well. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That's excellent. Were there any uh, uh, specific uh, partnerships that the VA was engaging in or is engaging in at this point um, with uh, private firms as it relates to digitization or the technology to support virtual care that you can that you could talk to. Well, I think that today um, there are there are many of those partnerships. I think that much of the technology that VA runs on comes from the private sector. There's a current program right now that that I think holds great promise called Project Atlas, which is a a partnership between VA and companies like Philips and uh, veteran service organizations like the American Legion and the Veterans of Foreign War, where they are beginning to look at the facilities that the VFW and the American Legion have around the country for veterans and saying these are really good locations that we could provide telehealth from and access care for veterans. And so the sort of partnership between government and industry and veteran service organizations, I think, is a really nice model of being able to demonstrate that it takes you know, a working relationship between different organizations to really get the most potential out of helping a large group of veterans. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about in terms of uh, leadership competencies um, around collaboration and partnerships is being able to align diverse stakeholders and manage the inevitable boundaries and obstacles that you face. Um, how, how is it that you were able to do that? and I know that you're, you ascribe to uh, creating learning organizations. So in addition to how you did it, how 
were you building the capacity of the folks that led the VA to do the same? Yeah, I think that there are three parts to that question. Uh, the first is, is that I entered really from a private sector mentality where the ability to partner and the ability to work with industry was a highly valued competency. And so I wanted to bring that into the organization. Uh, the second part of that is, is that I think as the leader of an organization, you have to set the tone and you have to be willing in government to create the environment where that type of partnering is acceptable. And today, uh, there is a sense of risk adversity among the career government employees that um, that there may be concerns about procurement roles and concerns about um, you know partnering with industry. So if the career employees don't feel safe and protected to be able to take what is viewed as somewhat of a risk, I think that many will just sit back and wait and see whether whether anybody else first is going to take that risk. And you know, this is what I talk about in my book when I talk about my concern for public service. There is a sense of um, almost attack on people in government that that they may be you know, accused of doing wrongdoing with government money, and so therefore creates this very risk-adverse environment, which I think works against the interests of the citizens that we're trying to serve. And I think in terms of how I was trying to create an environment which was a learning organization and hardwiring best practices, um, I wanted to essentially prioritize the need for the, for the VA to start working as a singular organization, and that means learning what works and what doesn't work. So I created Shark Tank uh, exercises around <laughs> the country where the sharks in the VA were not billionaires like you see on the TV show, but instead they were the medical center directors. And the way that you win Shark Tank is by taking a best practice and having the uh, judges bid by uh, their commitment to take that best practice and implement it in their own VA medical center. So we began to create a series of best practices that were being implemented across the VA in various medical centers. And that, that began to hardwire these practices in place. And we ultimately ended up writing a book together, the VA employees with with uh, me being an, an editor of the book, which is called Best Care Everywhere, which really celebrated the fact that this was an organization that was committed to identifying and implementing best practices. Thank you so much for sharing the Shark Tank story. I, um, I think it's fantastic. And you do see that kind of work happening in the private sector. I imagine that you were the first to bring it to the public sector with some yeah. really good results. It's excellent. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your current role. I know that um, you're doing uh, Shulkin Solutions, where you're partnering with leading healthcare organizations to foster innovation and improve well-being for patients. And I am sure that the work that you're doing um, is a culmination of, of, of much of what you did in both the private and the public sector. 
That being said, what do you see as the necessary leadership capabilities that are going to be required for people at the senior most level within organizations today in order for them to be effective and drive change and overcome all of these challenges that hospital presidents and the like are seeing? I do think that the job of leadership is to ask the right questions and then to determine the priorities for an organization. And that often means then being very good at communicating what the vision and what the plan for that organization is, and then having the ability to stay focused with a continuity of purpose and vision going forward. So that's really what leaders do. They set the tone and the direction and the pace of which change occurs in an organization. And the only way to have a leader get that right is by understanding and listening to their customers. So, so this is a this is a process, and you can see very very talented chief executives are good at this. They stay on message. They they give their employees an understanding of the why they are asking them to change and connecting with a sense of purpose to each of the employees. And that's what I tried to do at VA. I spent time listening to what veterans wanted. Sometimes that meant I would put on a white coat as a doctor and take care of veterans so that I could really understand what was happening at the ground level. And then identifying what the priorities of the organization are and then communicating that to our employees and then staying focused on those priorities. And um, in my current company, Shulkin Solutions, I've identified where I think the most uh, significant potential for change in healthcare is. Sometimes that means disruption of the current model, but hopefully leading towards an improved way that we deliver healthcare. And I've begun to start working with companies that are in leading positions to help, I think, bring that change to the healthcare marketplace. And um, it's very exciting to see some of these initiatives now begin to have a big impact. Does it, does it resemble the work that you were doing at the VA? You know, if you take a 30,000 foot level, I'm assuming that much of what you did at the VA is very similar. It's about really listening to what the veterans were looking for and then developing solutions around that. I do think I, I do think that it has the similarity of um, looking at how you can most impact people and people's lives, and those those are things that have always connected with me. What why I get excited waking up in the morning because because of the impact that your efforts may have, but doing it in the private sector is clearly different than doing it from you know, an agency that has 370,000 people. I think in the private sector, in many cases, you can move faster, you can make more mistakes, you can take more risks, and that allows the innovation to occur. Uh, and then, um, and then, of course, looking for, once you learn what works, partnering with larger organizations, whether they are health systems or, in the case of VA, government.
I think there's so much to be learned, David, from uh, your experiences uh, in the public sector in particular, but also um, melding that with all of the work that you've done in the private sector. I, I just want to go back to the book for a moment. You, you wrote extensively about uh, the dual path of decision making in the White House um, and how falling out of favor with President Trump's political appointees was really what ended your, your tenure there. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious just about, about that dual path of decision-making and if that is something that you saw in, you, you worked under both Obama and, and Trump, um, if that's something that's consistent as part of government work or if that was something surprising to you within the Trump administration. One of the things that I think I had to get used to and I think the rest of the country had to get used to is, is that President Trump does things differently than than some of his predecessors and probably one of the reasons why he got elected because he promised to do things differently and so it shouldn't surprise all of us but the uh this dual decision making the sort of independent political appointees pursuing their own political agenda was something that was new to me in the trump administration and something that i ultimately found the biggest challenge of my tenure as secretary. Um, you know, I believe that policy and policy decisions should come from the head of the agency, the secretary, who is a Senate-confirmed person. And of course, I was uh, the only member of the Trump cabinet that was confirmed 100 to 0. So I was doing things, I believe, with a bipartisan mandate yes. and working uh, to get things done on behalf of veterans. We got 11 major bills done my first year as secretary, and I thought that we were making a great deal of change. But some of the political appointees had ideas of their own, and, and uh, ultimately I think that ended up confusing the picture. And as we watch what's happening in the rest of, of government and seeing this same story play out almost on a daily basis where there are dual paths of information to the president, uh, I think that it is uh, somewhat concerning as to uh, how government is functioning now. And I think that, you know, I've called for a reset in the environment in Washington where where the tone of partisanship is 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 sort of reevaluated, where the personal attacks on public servants stop and where we start refocusing on what's important for government to do and its ultimate goal of making the lives of its citizens better. And I think we can do that. I think that that's important that we as Americans remember that we share much more in common than we have in terms of differences and get back to those basics. Mm, you, get, you, give me, you give me hope in a, in a time when um, it's easy to feel hopeless um, you know, we're, we're a leadership development firm, David, so I do have to ask the question, yeah. you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but when you think about your tenure under President Trump and the fact that the ideas were so good and the progress was quick and could have had even more impact than it did, and I think, I think your, your legacy will be, the impact will be much will be felt for years to come. But all of that being said, what is the overall leadership lesson, you know, for folks that are listening to the blog post, to, to the podcast about 
when good plans are thwarted, what do you, what do you do as a leader to overcome that obstacle? I think uh, every leader faces challenging situations and there's politics in every organization, not just in government. And so I think that the best advice that I can give is, is that leaders need to understand what they stand for, what their principles are. And they need to be willing to not only publicly articulate what those principles are, but stand up for those principles. And if that means losing your job, uh, that's part of what you sign up for when you're going to lead an organization and get people to believe in you. And while that is often unfortunate and may have consequences for the organization, I think it's worse if a leader stays in an organization and compromises their principles. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a really it's uh, a really nice note to uh, to end on. I, although I have one last question for you, David, which is thinking thinking uh, future, thinking back. What is it that you want ultimately your legacy to be as a leader? I think that the legacy uh, is that the Department of Veteran Affairs is a essential part of this country's responsibility to those men and women who have sacrificed and put their lives on the line for the country. And that um, right now with less than 1% of Americans serving in the military that we as citizens owe that small percentage of the population a great deal. And having a strong Department of Veteran Affairs is one way that we honor that respect and commitment to them. And for many people who don't have the opportunity to spend time in an organization like this, they may think it's too big, it's not fixable. And I hope that my legacy is is that um, I demonstrated not only that this organization can be fixed and improved, but it actually needs to be a strong part of our government and and of our communities in order to keep the principles of democracy and 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 American values alive. Mm, that's beautiful, David. Your new book. It Shouldn't Be This Hard to Serve Your Country, which was just released uh, two weeks ago, is fantastic. And I recommend anybody that's listening to this podcast today to pick it up. It is, um, it's, it, it's incredible. It is a, it's a story, it's a story that's true. <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself as I was reading the book that this, this actually happened. Um, but I think at the end of the day, David, what you, what you say is is, is incredibly meaningful. It's really important for people to embrace so that they can begin to make the change that you began at the VA and that we, I think all of us um, as a generation wanna see uh, positive, p- positive moves coming out of our government in the future. So thank you very much for your service to the country. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast, and uh, I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to watching what's to come from, from Shulkin Solutions and, and whatever, it else, whatever else it is you decide to do in the future. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, David. For those of you interested in learning more about leadership, please visit us at TLD Group's website, 
Join us for more interviews with health ecosystem leaders during our podcast series. And of course, stay tuned for the release of our book entitled From Competition to Collaboration, How Leaders Cultivate Cross-Sector Partnerships to Deliver Value and Transform Health. Thank you for joining us.